that event tonight in Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. Now, let me encourage you, if you did not bring a Bible, that's fine. There's a lot of them in the building. If you have a Bible, look on either side and see if somebody needs to look on with you. If you don't have a Bible, look to the side, uh, either side of you, and somebody will share a copy of God's Word with you tonight. Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. Let's stand, please, for the reading and teaching of God's Word. Second Thessalonians 2. I'm beginning my reading down in verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled either by spirit, word, and letter that's from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except the come of falling away first. The man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So that he as God sitteth into the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the iniquity is already now work, only he who now letteth, or hinders, will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him." Whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should or must believe the lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Thank you. Would you be seated, please? Sunday morning, I promised on this final night of the meeting, I would be bringing a message on Bible prophecy. Prophecy is a study of the future. It's history written in advance. There is one person alone that knows the future. His name is Jesus Christ. Everything he wants you to know about the future, he has placed in the Holy Word of God. Let me give you a couple of things that are good news as we start this message tonight, because it will get very intense. Good news number one. If you have been born again, let's all say that phrase, born again. I'm not talking about Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, communion, confirmation, or catechism. I'm talking about born again. If you've been born again, then the events <coughs> that you're about to see that will take place on this earth are not in your future. Because you have been saved from the wrath to come. Good news number two, if you have not been born again, you can be tonight. While you sit in this building... God Almighty will reveal truth to you, and you can accept that free gift of eternal life before you ever leave to go home. We're not asking you to join the church or be baptized. We don't want your money. You take it home. But sitting in your seat, you can receive the gift of eternal life, and you too will miss all the impending wrath. However, there is some bad news, and that is this. If you are not born again and choose not to be born again, the events you're about to witness are in your future. What to expect if you miss the return of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads to pray. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you wrote it and we'll quote it and you will move in great power as you did in the day of Pentecost. We believe that was not a com conclusion but a commencement. Now we ask you that you'll superintend every aspect of this program tonight. I yield myself afresh and anew, and I fully expect to see you powerfully work in hearts and lives. I pray Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Don't let anybody leave this building unsure of their eternity. May they be born again this very night, and you'll get the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe the next great event on God's prophetic calendar is the return of Jesus Christ in an event we call the rapture. Your Bible speaks of two comings of Jesus. The first time was forecasted in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years later, it was fulfilled, Luke 2, 11. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Did you know it's an estimated 333 Bible prophecies in the first coming of Jesus, every one fulfilled in the Son of God? There's at least twice that many concerning His second coming, and they will all be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The first time He came as a child in a cradle to be crucified on the tree. The next time he comes is a conqueror in the clouds to be crowned upon a throne. 
In Matthew chapter 24, while the disciples were working and walking with Jesus, they asked this question, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? They knew he would return, but they didn't know when. They also knew that the world would come to an end. The truth of the matter is, the world as you know it is not going to continue. Second Peter 3.10, For the day of the Lord so comes as the thief in the night, and the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, the earth and all that in there is shall be burned up. Let me tell you what your Bible says. Where you're sitting, God's going to incinerate. This entire globe, God is going to burn to a crisp. Revelation 21.1, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first heaven and the first earth are passed away. Now, if you are tonight what we call heavy into the environment, some people nickname you tree huggers and frog kissers. This is going to be a long night, honey, I can tell you right now. Because everything you know this world to be, God is going to destroy and recreate it. Now, the question was, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world or the end of the age? Jesus said, watch for these things. He said, many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Since his ascension back to his heavenly Father, no less than a thousand individuals have proclaimed themselves Messiah. In my lifetime, Jim Jones in the 70s, David Koresh in the 90s. Tonight, in Puerto Rico, there's Jose de Jesus. He's self-proclaimed Messiah, and his followers, by the way, are taking marks in their hands and proclaiming him to be the Messiah. That's why you're sitting in this auditorium. If you were to go to India tonight, there's a man there named Sai Baba who will not deny that he does perverted deeds with little children. And yet the Prime Minister of India kissed his feet and said, he's the Messiah. Jesus said, you watch for that. He said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Hundred plus wars fought last year, in excess of that this year. Interestingly enough, we're still at war in Afghanistan and Iraq. If that idiot in Iran gets the nuclear warhead, which they are very close to, I'm convinced he'll probably go after Israel, who he said he wants to bury in the Red Sea. It's also my settled conviction he's got another thing coming because the Jews will probably get the jump on him, but it may thrust us into a major world war. Now, Jesus said, you watch for that. He said there'll be famines. It's interesting that half the world goes to bed hungry every night. Thousands never get out of the bed the next day. And hunger is moving like a prairie fire in excess of any time in all of human history. Jesus said, watch for that. He said there'll be pestilence. The word is plagues. You're aware, I'm sure, of AIDS and SARS. Maybe you've heard about the bird flu. According to research, scientists say if the bird flu mutates among humans, it has not at this point, but they, they fully expect it to do that. They said if it mutates among humans, our 300 million man population will be cut in half in very short order in these United States. Jesus said, watch for that. He said, there will be earthquakes in divers or different locations. You may remember that Iran had one, 30,000 died, 18,000 died in India. Everybody remembers the tsunami, 11 countries and a quarter of a million people that died. Before I'm finished tonight, I'm going to show you the coming earthquake God has predicted that will flatten the mountains worldwide and sink every island, and it is coming, and God said so. Now, he said, when you see all these things come to pass, you lift up your eyes and look for your redemption draws nigh. You say, preacher, this must be very, very close because what you're saying, we can read in the newspaper and see on our news. Let me use these microphones tonight to explain uh, the difference between two events. One event known as the rapture, another event known as the revelation, both events part of what we commonly call the second coming. Matthew 24 has signs. The signs are not for this event, they're for this event. And so everything I just quoted to you has to do with the coming of Jesus when he will come and put his feet on the Mount of Olives. It'll split, he'll cross the valley, he'll go and be pronounced King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, follow me carefully. This event is at least seven years after this event. Because there's a time in between known as the Tribulation and the Great Tribulation Hour. Therefore, what I just quoted to you, if you think it's pointing to this, you can subtract seven plus years and know how much closer we are to the return of Jesus Christ. Let me say to the young people tonight, I'm glad you're here. But I doubt seriously you'll ever live to be as old as I am. Now, I'm not a date setter. 
But when I see all the things that are coming to pass, I doubt you'll ever live to your, see your 50s. I look for the coming of Jesus Christ every single solitary day. If he does not come today, I look for him tomorrow. Now, Jesus told us that he was coming. The book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, or verse 11 the disciples were told by the angels, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. What did they say? Jesus is coming again. In the book of 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Jesus said, As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Titus 2, 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is, Christ is coming. You better be ready. First Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Voice the archangel, trump of God. First John 2.28, now little children abide in him. Why? That when he shall appear, not if he might appear, but when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, you believe anything you want, my dear friend, but God's going to interrupt your broadcast. And you're going to learn tonight, having heard the gospel as you will in this service, if you've not been born again by the time Jesus comes in this event, you will never be saved after that event is over. I'll prove that from the Word of God before I am finished tonight. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the epistles of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to a church where he had served three Sabbath days, many had been saved. Because of persecution, he had to leave. Interestingly enough, he wrote back the first epistle to confirm the truth of the coming of Christ, the second one to correct the time of the coming of Christ. Somebody had forged his name on a, on a false document and given it to the church and said, Jesus has come and you folks are left behind. And Paul said, that is a lie. He's not come yet, but he will come again. Now, what we're going to do in the next few moments is ask and answer this question, what happens if tonight Jesus were to come and the majority of people here were taken into his presence, what would happen to you dear folks that have never been born again? Now, bear in mind when I'm telling you this, I am cheering, praying, and inviting you to be a part of the Lord Jesus Christ church and get saved by the grace of God. But if you're left behind, what takes place? Look down in verse 1 of chapter 2. We beseech you, brethren. Let me explain that. Who are the brethren? They're people who are in the same family. Brother Jonathan, would you come and stand next to me for just one moment, please? Now, Jonathan is a the youth pastor here, for those of you that may be visiting. When you look at him and look at me, we do not look anything alike. And our wives said, Amen. That's what they said. Now, but there is something alike about us. You see, I was born again in 1957 and received the Lord Jesus Christ. What year were you saved, Jonathan? 1989. 1989. Now, the thing that is the same about us is, though his last name is Washer and my last name is Farrell, and physically we don't look anything alike. We're spiritually alike. When I was born again, I don't talk about joining the church and signing a card. I'm talking about born again. I got in the family of God. He got in the family of God in 1989. Two men in the same family would be brothers. That's where the term brethren came from. Well, preacher, everybody's your brother. No, you're not. No, you're not. You see, except a man be born again, that's a birth. He can't see or enter into the kingdom of God. So if you want to be part of the brethren or a part of the sisters, you've got to get saved by the grace of God. Thanks, Jonathan. You can be seated. Now, he says, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, or by the parousia, the showing up of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. Now, the word gather carries the idea of collecting to the same place. And so Jesus is coming and we're going. What will take place on this earth? If you're not born again, the first thing you'll experience is desertion. Some of you are going to be left behind by family members, friends, and loved ones. Some of you are going to be left behind though you're a church member. You're going to be left behind though you're a Sunday school teacher. Because unless you're born again, it makes no difference what you do. It makes no difference how good you are or how much money you give. You've got to be in the family of God in order to go with God into the family dwelling called heaven. And so there will be desertion. Now, the Bible speaks of the reality of this. John 14, 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I've told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you, and of myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I emphasize the word you for this reason. In John 14, Jesus was speaking to 11 disciples. You say, wait a minute, preacher. He had 12 disciples, yes, but you need to understand, one of them was a deceiver. His name was Judas Iscariot. Judas praise, Iscariot false. He was the false praise. He was a liar, and he never entered into the kingdom of God. It's interesting, Pastor, that Jesus did not preach on heaven in John 13. He waited until Judas went out and betrayed him, and then he spoke on heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ knew that Judas was going to hell. And dear friend, he knows everybody in this building whether you're going to heaven or hell. Now, you can fool your pastor, but you're not fooling Jesus. You can fool your parents, but you're not fooling Jesus. And I want to say to you, Judas Iscariot was in the first Christian school. And Judas Iscariot was the uh, student body treasurer. But for over 1,900 years, he's been burning in the regions of the dam because he was a phony and a fake and a fraud. Dear friend, unless you're born again, you don't stand any chance whatsoever of getting into the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us the reality of it. He tells us how it's going to happen. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, I gave you earlier. The Lord himself shall descend. How's it going to happen? Shout, voice of the archangel, trump of God. Going to be noisy if you're born again. Going to be totally silent if you're not. You'll never hear one of those spiritual sounds, not one. But Jesus is coming for us. So there is return. Then he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. My parents, my wife's parents, born again, but their body is in the cemetery. But Jesus is going to bring their spirit back, reunite it with their body, and out of the cemetery they'll come. That's going to be some kind of day when that takes place. Then he says, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The word caught up in the Latin language is rapture, translated into English rapture. It means to seize, claim for one's own, remove to another place. So here's the events. Return, resurrection, rapture, reunion. I'll give it again. Return, resurrection, rapture, and reunion. And if you're born again, you ought to be sitting there tonight saying in your heart, Amen, the sooner the better. Even so come, Lord Jesus. But if you're not born again, my friend, you're not going. You're going to be left behind. So it teaches the reality of it, but it teaches the rapidity of it. You see, he's coming rapidly. Preacher, I don't understand. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 tells you how fast the event will take place. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, a moment, out on a smallest particle of time known to the human brain, indivisible. The twinkling of an eye is the jerk of the eye so minute it cannot be detected by another eye. Here's what he's saying. Before you could blink your eye, every person in this building who's genuinely born again is gone to the other side. You are left behind. I have prayed many times that I'd get raptured while I was preaching. I'd like to be right in the middle of one of those points and be gone to the other side. There'll be some saints... And all of a sudden, they'd wake up in heaven and said, how did I get here? And there'd be some sinners sitting in church thinking they're going to heaven, wondering where everybody went. Don't you be one of them. You see, my friend, before you could blink your eye, everything that I have just mentioned would take place, and Jesus would take us home to be with him. Now, let me say to you tonight, in case you are an unsaved husband and you have a saved wife, you better take a long look at your wife. There's coming a day you'll never see her again. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be factual and biblical. It may happen like this. You wake up one morning and her bedclothes are there next to you. And that doesn't make sense. She doesn't do that. She's a neat neck. And so you uh, begin to look through the house. On Thursday night, you weren't interested. Didn't make any difference to you. You thought this whole thing was a joke, but you're not laughing now. No, you're searching every room, but she's not there. Now, suddenly you say, I better go over to my buddy's house and see you go up a couple of doors to your card playing, cigarette sucking and liquor drinking buddy. And you knock on the door and say, hey, man, have you seen my wife? He may say, no, have you seen mine? Now, laugh all you want on your way to hell. Go look at your pornography all you want on your way to hell because Jesus has come and you'll never be saved by the grace of God. You may be a teenager. Oh, you raise your hand, Sam, going to heaven, but you've never been born again. You thought the whole thing was a joke. 
Maybe you sit in Christian school chapel and said, I'm not listening. Maybe you're sitting there tonight saying, I don't know what this is all about, but I'm not interested. That's up to you. Now, you come home from school and you say, Mom, I'm home, Mom, I'm home, but she doesn't answer. You go to every room and you can't find her because moments before you got there, she slipped through the roof into the portals of glory and she's not going to answer. Now, she won't tell you to turn your music down. You turn it up as loud as you want. You're going to need it. You go ahead and put those things in your head and cram up your iPod. Go and watch 155 cable channels and laugh on your way to hell. You've been deserted and we're not coming back. I'm saying to you tonight, don't be left behind. Don't experience desertion, number two. You'll not only experience desertion, but you'll experience deception. The Bible says in verse 2 of chapter 2, You be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor word, but letters from us as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now, watch who he's talking about. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. What does he do? Verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship. So he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the Antichrist. Preacher, how do I know? Because anti means opposed to, and anti means in the place of. Let me give you some good news. If you believe the truth, John 8, 32, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you believe the truth in the Bible and receive by faith Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. But if you are a phony and a farce, and you've never been born again and never received Jesus, then the Jesus you did not receive will step to the side. And the counterfeit Christ, Antichrist, will come, and you will believe him. Preacher, I don't believe it. Look down, please, in verse 9. Even whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Who are receiving the deception? They who receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, what some of you do not realize is when you hear the gospel and you do not respond and by faith and repentance receive Jesus, what you're doing is actually damning your own soul. Don't you ever say God damns people to hell. God's never damned anybody to hell. If you go, it'll be your fault. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But when you do not place your full faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are damning your own soul. You are blinding your own self. And one day God will further your blindness so that you cannot and will not ever believe the truth. Who's the Antichrist? What's he like? Take your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. No more potent, powerful passage on the coming Antichrist than Revelation 13. Daniel 8.23 calls him the prince that shall come. The Bible calls him the man of sin. We saw that, or man of lawlessness. Calls him the son of perdition, the son of ruin. Matthew 24 calls him the abomination of desolation. 1 John 2.18, he calls him the Antichrist. I call him Satan's Superman. <coughs> now... What is going to happen when this deceiver steps on the scene? Revelation 13, 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, upon his horns, ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. So look this way. The apostle John sees a future event. He said, I see a beast-like creature, and he's coming out of the sea. Well, preacher, is this Godzilla coming out of the Atlantic? No, no. What he is saying is, I see a human being whose characteristics are like a ravenous beast. I see him come out of the sea, so what is that? Revelation seventeen fifteen says, the waters or the sea are nations, languages, and peoples. So this foaming group is not a body of water, it's a group of people. Your Bible says in Isaiah 55, the wicked is the troubled sea that cannot rest, spewing up. Mire and dirt, the biggest scumbag to ever walk upon this earth, is yet to come and stand. But you will buy him, and you will believe him, and you will bow before him if you do not receive Jesus Christ. The Bible says he has seven heads. In Revelation 17, 9, the seven heads are seven mountains. There's only one geographical location that fits that. It's Rome, city of seven hills, seven mountains. Many Bible scholars believe that Rome will be the home base, the capital city of the coming Antichrist. The Bible goes on and says he has ten horns and upon his horns ten crowns. The ten horns, Revelation seventeen twelve tells us, are ten kingdoms. 
The ten crowns, it tells us, are ten kings. Now, if you study that passage, you'll find that the ten kings confederate. But nine surrender to one. The one is the Antichrist. Now, some of you are saying, preacher, this is all hard to believe. Well, let me take you back to 1948 and fast forward into 2009. In 1948, three tremendous things took place. One, Israel became a nation for the first time in a couple of thousand years. Why is that necessary? Because she is now in her homeland, and the only way you can have a temple on the Temple Mount in Israel in Jerusalem is for the Jews to build it. I've seen the plans for the temple. I have been to the Temple Mount Institute and seen the vessels and the vestments. I have talked to the Orthodox rabbis who say they have on computer the ones who qualify for the Levitical priesthood. I've seen the seven golden candlestick, 100-pound purest gold menorah. You can see it behind bulletproof glass. I've seen with my eyes the cornerstone. They've tried to set it twice, but the Palestinians have turned them away. But there is coming a day they will rebuild that temple, and the Antichrist will come and stand in it. So Israel is back in her homeland. Number two, 1948 was the first private meeting of the World Council of Churches, officially formed in the mid-50s. Why is that important? Because there is coming a one-world church with a one-world pastor. Ah, preacher, we live in the United States. We're pluralistic. We accept everybody. Well, number one... The United States is never mentioned in Bible prophecy, ever. And I dare you to disprove that statement. Just bring your Bible and disprove it. Never mentioned in Bible prophecy. Number two, it makes no difference what this country is now. If she is still in existence when the Antichrist comes, he will have a one-world church. I'll show you that in a moment. He will be the one world pastor, and you will bow before him and serve him, or you will be executed. And I'll prove that in a moment. Number three, in 1948 was the first private meeting of the EEC, European Economic Community, better known as the European Union. You would know it as the United States of Europe. Officially formed May 1957 with six nations, tonight 27 nations. If you were to get out a map and you were to look at all the 27 nations that have formed the United States of Europe, every one of them, every one of them was a previous part of the Roman Empire. It's coming back together in your lifetime. Why is that important? Because in Revelation 17, God said to John, write these words. He said, five of the kingdoms are fallen. One is, one is yet to come, and out of the seventh will come he, the eighth. So let's do a little history. Who had already fallen into the dust of time when John in 90 A.D. under inspiration wrote Revelation? There was Egypt followed by Assyria, Medo-Persian, Babylon, and or Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. They're all gone at that time. They've fallen. Who was reigning? The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was never destroyed. Study history. 479 A.D. They were divided. Charlemagne, Bismarck, and others tried to put it back together. No deal. But God Almighty is putting it together in your lifetime before your very eyes. 2002, January 1, the euro. Some people call it the euro dollar. Check your world exchange. The euro has now supplanted the American dollar on the world market. We're becoming a second-rate nothing. And we're becoming that very, very quickly. And so all these things are lining up just exactly like Jesus said they would. Now you say, preacher, why is it that you believe that a person who does not receive Jesus Christ will receive the Antichrist if they heard the gospel? Look down in verse number 8. And all, A-double-L, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Let me just simply take this table and pull it out here and put this little songbook on it to remind me in a moment to show you how to get your name in the book of life. This is simply a hymn book. But I'm going to tell you, according to the Bible, we will let this represent the book of life. Here's the teaching of the Bible. If your name is not in the book of life, this is what we just read. If your name is not in the book of life, you're going to bow before, serve, and worship the coming Antichrist. And God said so, because you'll be blinded and be deceived. Tonight, you can by faith receive Jesus Christ. In that day, you will either by faith or by force receive the Antichrist. Our desire is for you to get your name in the book of life. You can get it there even this very evening. Now, 
He has a henchman or a sidekick who is the false prophet. You read about him verses 9 through 12, but they build a statue, an icon of the Antichrist, verse 15. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. I'm amazed at the arrogance of Americans. God walks up to me and said, I have news for you. I'll never worship Jesus Christ or Antichrist. And I have news for you. You're a fool. Because if you do not choose Jesus Christ, according to this, you're going to bow and worship Antichrist or you'll be executed on the spot. Revelation 20 and verse 4 says you'll be beheaded. Interesting. One of the favorite capital punishments of the Muslims. Now let's read on verse number 16. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in the right hand of the foreheads, so that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. It's the number of a man. His number is 600, three score and six, 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 six. You say, preacher, I've seen that number. You're going to see more of it. And if you're here, you're going to take it in your hand or your head, or you'll not buy a gallon of gas or a loaf of bread. God said so. You see, the one world system that was pronounced in 1989 on the front cover of Time magazine, 20 years later, is escalating at an all-time fast-paced rate. It's interesting, is it not, that the 27 nations kind of alternate leadership, but they're looking for one world ruler. And they're looking for him tonight. One of them said, give us such a man, be he God or be he devil, and we will worship him. That's how bad off the nations of the world are tonight. You see, 17 of the 27 United States of European countries are tonight flat broke, much like the United States of America. Time does not allow me to tell you where I believe this nation is going. We haven't had a gold standard for many years. The silver will not support the money that we're cranking out. It used to take in the, in the days of Germany when they went flat on their back, wheelbarrow loads full of money just to buy one loaf of bread. And we're not far from it. You say, preacher, you're an alarmist. I'm ringing the alarm. I hope you'll wake up. Because if you don't, when I'm gone, you'll believe every word I've said. But you will not be saved. It'll be too late then. My prayer is that you'll believe this tonight. And so what we have is a mark. Now, this word mark is the word kargma in Greek. It's used eight times in the Bible. What does it mean? Definition. Scratch, etch, literal definition, tattoo. What's the rage internationally? Tattoos. I travel the world. I'll even go overseas in May. I'll go overseas in July. I'll leave again in, in November. Every country I've been in. Every country. They tattoo. Doesn't make any difference the color of skin. Tattoos are now the rage. I used to think, Brother Bethay, that the tattoo would probably be invisible. I don't believe it anymore, and I'll tell you why. In Revelation chapter 7, God's people are sealed in their foreheads, and it can be seen. In this passage of Scripture, they're going to have to take in their hand or head his picture, his name, or the number 666. I'm convinced that the tattoo range is nothing more than a conditioning. To get people ready for the day that you will stand in line and proudly hold your head out or put it on your hand and proudly wear it. And if you do not, you will not buy anything at Walmart. You walk in, you put it all up on the conveyor belt, and she says, let me see it. I don't see it on your head. Let me see your hand. What? You don't have the mark. We don't see it. Next, please. Orderly, come and put everything away. We're not selling them anything. You say you're kidding. You better read carefully. No man may buy or sell, which means if you have a business, you're now out of business. You can't sell anything. You can't buy anything. That means if they don't execute you first, you will starve to death because you'll have to forage like an animal to try to get anything to eat. Now, somebody said you've got a vivid imagination. Well, let me take you back 30 years when the first electronic tags were put on the ears of cattle to study their habitat. We fast forward about 10 more years, and they're implanting little... Um, capsules inside fish to study their habitat. We move forward to October 2004, MSNBC, I quote, FDA approves computer chip for humans. It's called the Verichip, V-E-R-I-C-H-I-P. 
size of the grain of rice, fits either in the tricep or in your wrist. Takes 20 minutes to do. It's being taken in the United States as you're sitting here. Your entire case history is on it. And it can be read from outer space. And yes, sir, Big Brother is watching. I fast forward again. And I, I remind you that in Barcelona, Spain, as far back as 2002, they were not taking it for security purposes. They were taking the Vera chip so they could go to the nightclubs, swipe their hand, their account comes up, they pass no money, and get stone drunk all night long. It's not a matter of is it coming. It's a matter that the precursor of it is already here in your lifetime. There are many things I will document. There are some things I won't tell you. If I told you what bankers have told me, if I told you what people in high-ranking places have told me, if you're not saved, it'd scare the stew out of you. But I refuse to quote something I cannot prove. Everything I quote to you tonight, I can document and prove. I won't tell you what I cannot prove. But I'm going to tell you, anybody in the banking industry will tell you we're far closer than anybody wants to believe. We're moving to a cashless society. Your credit card won't be any good. You'll have it in the hand or the head, or you won't buy or sell. As recent as 2006, this month, two years ago, Good Morning America, a couple implants microchips in their hands. Amal Grafton waves his hand in front of the locked door. It opens automatically. His girlfriend, Jennifer, waves her hand in front of the computer. It immediately comes on. It's not a matter, dear friend, is it going to happen. It's a matter that it is already taking place. I do a lot of research. And I noticed on Saturday, USA Today carried the story of the Barbie doll that now comes complete with tattoos. Welcome to the United States of America and the one world government that is preparing to sink this ship. If you're banking on being American and hanging around, happy landing. I'm moving out. And if you're smart, you'll want to go too. Number one, there'll be desertion. Number two, there'll be deception. Number three, there'll be destruction. Go to Revelation 16. People are asking, what about the change in the weather? What all is going on all around me? Well, let me tell you. If you want to know about global warming, people ask me about global warming. Can you tell me about global warming? I always say, ask Al Gore. He knows everything. He founded the Internet. And so you ask Al, and maybe he can tell you. But I'm going to tell you this. The polar caps are melting. That's documented. The weather patterns are changing, but not near like they're going to in the seven-year tribulation hour. I read, please, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 3. Watch it. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And the Bible goes on and says it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Look this way. That means when you stand on the coastline in that day, as far as your eye can see, it'll be blood red. Some type of poison God is sending to the oceans. Remember, that's his ocean, not yours. He can do what he chooses. And as far as any sea life, it all dies. Why is the dead sea dead? There's nothing in it. One day, every sea will be dead. Now, you try to do the math in your mind about Saltwater fishing. I read on, verse number 4. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. Doesn't say like blood. It says they became blood. That's literal. What happens? Verse number 4 or verse number 6. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. That means there's coming a day there'll be so little water, and you will be so famished and so desirous of liquid, you will drink human blood, and your Bible says so. I'm not making it up. Just read with me. Verse number 8, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. The sun, ladies and gentlemen, is 93 million miles away, 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Move it a half degree to the earth, we fry. Move it a half degree away from the earth, we freeze. God's got this solar system in perfect orbit. But in that day, that vaporized ozone layer is going to dissipate, and it's already doing that now. That's why cancer, skin cancer, is on the rise in unparalleled proportions. And I hear doctors saying we're going to get more skin cancer, and I start snickering and say, but it ain't going to be skin cancer. People, according to the Word of God, are going to be burned alive in the city streets. Now, somebody sitting here, here's what you're saying. All right, preacher, I don't believe you. But if it ever happens, I'll get saved. No, you won't. You look down, please, at verse number 9. And men were scorched with a great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over the plagues. And they repented not 
to give him glory. So tonight you sit here and you make fun of me or you leave and say, preposterous. That is your business. You do still live in a free America. But in that day, you will not walk out and simply say preposterous. You will shake your ungodly fist in the face of a holy, righteous God. You will curse him, profane him, and seal your damnation to the regions of hell. You will not be saved. The Bible goes and says in verse 18, There were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake. How big God, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. What's this major earthquake going to do? Verse 20. Every island fled away and the mountains were not found. This is not local, it's worldwide. Here's the teaching. There is coming a day that God Almighty who made this earth is going to sink every island and He is going to destroy every mountain range. Now here's an interesting thing, Brother Bethany. You and I preach the Word of God because we believe it. And folks walk out and say, I'll believe that. And they go home and watch the History Channel and believe everything's on there. That's an amazing thing. So for you folks that need a little History Channel, let me quote the History Channel. About 18 months ago, my wife and I were watching the documentary on global warming. And while we were sitting next to each other, they began to say, as fast as the polar caps are melting, I'm quoting them, not me, as fast as the polar caps are melting, one day every one of the seaport cities will go underwater, and I quote, and every island will sink, unquote. My wife jumped up on the couch. She said, my soul, did you hear that? I said, didn't need to. I read it. It was written 2,000 years ago. Everything you're seeing on television is so antiquated. God's laughing at the fools putting all this stuff there. Now, somebody tonight is going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just who does this God think he is to come to destroy the earth? Let me announce so you will not forget. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And before there was a you, there was a God. God did not get your permission or your help to make this earth. It does not belong to you. It is not Mother Earth. It was made by Almighty God. And God Almighty will do exactly as He chooses. And He chooses to incinerate where you're sitting tonight. And only a fool wants to be left behind. So I'm saying to you, make peace with God by receiving Jesus Christ. And when all the fireworks and hell breaks loose down here, enjoy the show from the other side in the presence of King Jesus with the rest of us. And so, number one, you will see deception. Number two, you will see desertion. Number three, you will see destruction. Now, just before I close my message and show you how to get your name in the book of life, I want you to run back by Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter chapter three. What should a message like this do for you? If you're born again, know you're going to heaven, what should it do for you? Well, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.10, I quoted it, now I'll read it to you. So look at it, please. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, elements melt with a fervent heat, earth also the works therein shall be burned up. You see, it's in the Bible. Verse 11. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What's the first thing that it ought to do for you? It ought to make you want to walk exultingly. First John 3, 3. Every man that has this hope in himself purifies himself even as he is pure. Say, if you knew Jesus was coming tonight, would you be happy with what's in your refrigerator? With what you listen to on your radio? With what you watched on your TV, with the DVDs and the CDs? Mister, I don't want to be smart, but I'm going to tell you to your face. If you're having an affair and you are a child of God on the day of the rapture, can you imagine getting yanked out of a bed of an affair and having to meet Jesus Christ face to face? And it's going to happen. And I'm telling you, when you really believe that Jesus is coming, it'll change the way you walk with God. But number two, the Bible goes on and says, looking for and hasting to the coming day of God. Not only should we be walking exultingly, but we should be work watching expectantly. In other words, you ought to be saying tonight, if you're born again, oh, this is wonderful. Man, I tell you, I'm going to miss all this stuff. That's what Jesus died for and was buried for and raised again. He got rid of all my sin and all my sentence and, and I'm going to heaven. And we want you to go with us. I wonder if you really want him to come. I wonder if you want him to come more than you want graduation, more than you want to get married, more than you want children and grandchildren. I was preaching one night, and when I was preaching the Word of God, Brother Seaver, there was a little old lady who had to be in her 70s. She was sitting to my right, and I never said anything, but she absolutely frustrated the daylights out of me. Because ever so often she'd do this while I was preaching. And I thought, what is wrong with this? I never said a word. I tried not to even look. But when the service was over, I went to her and I said, ma'am, 
You've got to tell me. Are you okay? Why were you doing this? She said, what were you preaching on, son? I said, I was preaching on the coming of Jesus. She said, I'm getting ready to go. <laughs> Amen. See, she was watching expectantly. But then you notice down in verse number 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, work at this, that you be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. Brother Jim, can I use you for just a minute? Would you come and stand next to me? We're going to pretend for just a moment that he's the business manager here. If you haven't met him, we appreciate his work. But for just this illustration tonight, we're going to pretend that Jim is not born again. Some of you have wondered anyway. So we're going to pretend that he's not saved. Now, he and I work in the same business, in the same corporation, and we work in the same area. I'm saved. He's not. I know all the witness to him. I know that. But there's something goes on inside of me. I say I might offend him. He might not ever speak to me again. I might make him mad. I might not say this right. And I go through all of that junk that you go through. And don't tell me you don't. And I'm going to show you why. Watch carefully. You fear guys like Jim. Because when you don't fear him, you'll share your faith with him. Now, suddenly you realize Jesus is coming at any moment. He could come while we're on break. He could come at the lunch hour. He could come while I'm at home and Jim's at his home and he'd be left and I'd be gone. No longer do you fear him. Watch carefully. Now you fear for him. Because you don't want him to be left behind. Now, if you're a teenager standing next to a teenager, you don't say, I couldn't invite them to come to Christ on the invitation because you want to. Now you're not afraid to go to your neighbor anymore. You walk exultingly, watch expectantly, work effectively. Thank you, sir. You may be seated. And so I'd ask you tonight, are you living in the reality of the coming of Jesus? Now take your Bible in closing and go to Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. You've seen one, desertion. Two, deception. Three, destruction. Now number four, I'm going to share with you something that's going to bother some of you, but I'm going to prove it. Truth of the matter is, I wish, I wish this were not true. But now look right at me. I'm going to tell you what I believe from the Bible. And I'm going to prove it. I'm convinced, not partially, not halfway, but absolutely, totally convinced. That if you are hearing the gospel in this age of grace, which you are hearing tonight. And you do not get saved before the coming of Jesus. You will not and cannot be saved in the time of the tribulation hour. Now somebody's going to ask me before I get home. Will anybody be saved in the tribulation? Millions. Maybe one of the greatest in-gatherings in all of human history. Six and a half, 6.8 billion people tonight, half of them have never heard the term Jesus one time. Millions and millions will hear the gospel like you're hearing it tonight. They'll believe it. They'll receive it. They'll go to heaven. You will not. Because on a Thursday night when you could, you would not. And God is going to send you the lie. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9, read it. Even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceitful bliss of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now, who are these perishing going to hell people? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion. What's happening? They'll believe the lie. That's the lie of the Antichrist. What takes place in their lives? That they all might be damned. Not some of them, all of them. Who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Deception, desertion, destruction. And finally, you will experience damnation. You'll not be born again. That's the reason tonight, with all the unction and function of my soul, I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you, in Jesus' name, get your name in the book of life. Believe the teaching of this Bible. Receive the gift of eternal life. Be absolutely positive that you're going to heaven. Now, they did not receive it. Didn't say they didn't hear it. Didn't say they didn't understand it. Some of you heard the gospel many times, but you're not saved. You could give me the gospel, but you're not saved. And the more you know and the less you've received, the worse hell is for you because there's degrees of punishment. Study Matthew 11 carefully. And so I'm saying to you tonight, please believe the truth. Now, the Bible says they wouldn't receive the love of the truth. I've told you about God's wrath. Let me tell you about God's love. Listen to it. For God so loved the world. For those of you theologians, you listen to me very carefully. That word world is not elect of every nation. That's a lie. It is the word cosmos, 
It is translated mankind. And when Jesus Christ died, he died for every single solitary human being that has lived or ever will live. And if you go to hell, God didn't send you there. You sent yourself there. God loves you. Let me show you the difference between the love of a, a human daddy and the love of God. Listen to it, and I'm going to show you. You see, uh, my son led singing for you tonight. He's 29 years of age. Now, let's suppose, let's suppose that there was an option. Here was the option. You, my son could die for you, and you'd go to heaven. Or my son can live, and you'd go to hell. Now, let me explain that very plainly. And you look me straight in the face, and if you're a parent, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not giving my son for you. I'm not letting my son die for you. In fact, I'll be point blank and tell you, you can go to hell. Because I don't love you like that. I love my son. But that's not what God said. God looked down and he said, if it's you go to hell, or my son go to the cross, I love you so much, I'm going to put my son on the cross. And nobody has ever loved you like that. You don't know anybody that has ever loved you like that. But it's not just the love, it's the truth. So what's the truth? Truth is, Jesus would have never had to demonstrate his love unless we had a problem called sin. I want us to say that word tonight. Ready? Sin. Say it again. Sin. You were just politically incorrect. Nobody wants to use that word, but it's used in the Bible hundreds of times. It means to offend God, disobey God, turn from God, to miss the mark of his holiness. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including you. Galatians 3 and verse 22, the scriptures conclude all under sin. And the point is the Bible. If you've never admitted to God that you're a sinner, you have never been born again. The only people that can have a second birth are those who know they need it. And you need it because we're born a sinner. Truth too. If you die in your sin and your name is not in the book of life, you cannot go to heaven. Why? Revelation 21, 27 says there's nothing that enters heaven that will defile it. You cannot, my friend, get into heaven with one single solitary sin. Heaven's a perfect place made by the perfect person, Jesus, and only those he makes perfect can get in. So you'll have to go to hell. Truth number three. Jesus did for you what you can't do for yourself. Listen to this wonderful verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin. That's Jesus. Sinless, spotless, absolutely never did wrong. He who knew no sin became sin for us. We sinners. That we sinners might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, let me tell you the issue tonight. If you miss this, you may miss heaven. The issue tonight is righteousness. And it's not your righteousness because you don't have any. It's God's righteousness. And unless you get God's righteousness and get as good as God, you can't go to God's heaven. You say, preacher, I'm working real hard at it, but your works are worthless. For all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. If you could get into heaven by one work you've ever done, then Jesus wasted his time dying. There is no work that you have ever done that will save you. I was baptized as a baby. No, you weren't. You got your head wet when you're a baby, but there's never baby baptism anywhere in the Bible. And I'll give you a billion dollars to find one baby that ever got baptized to go to heaven. It's not there. Never has been. Yes, I take communion every Sunday. It's not communion. It's the Lord's Supper. And it's not to be saved because you had been saved. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show the Lord's death. Will he come this to in remembrance of me? It doesn't say you're receiving him. It says you're remembering him. And you're not going to heaven because you take something in your, your, your mouth. Your works are no good. All of your righteousnesses amount to nothing to God. So what he did was die on the cross to demonstrate that that one work was sufficient for everybody's sin. And that work is a gift. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Go to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you hear that? It says the gift is through Jesus, not Mary. It says the gift is through Jesus, not the church. 
It says the gift is through Jesus, not confirmation. It says the gift is through Jesus, not your efforts. Neither is there salvation any other, for there's none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus, Acts 4.12. Why can Jesus save? Because of who He is, He's God. And there is no other God. And when you come to Jesus, you come to Him as the only God, or you don't come at all. Because of what He did, He died for your sin. He was buried to take away your sin. He was raised to justify you, to make you like Him, to give you complete cleanliness in His sight. You say, well, my soul, preacher, how do I get that gift? Jesus said in Mark 1:15, repent. You say, I do penance. It doesn't say penance. Man told you that. Repent. It means you're going this way with your back to God and you change your mind. You can't change your life. You change your mind. I don't want to go this way anymore. I can't save myself. I'm not going to trust baptism, confirmation, baby baptism, all this. Other. I, I choose not to trust that. Anymore. I don't want my sin anymore. I want God's son. And so I'm willing to transfer all of my trust to Jesus Christ alone. Repent and believe. I'm placing all of my confidence for heaven in who Jesus is and what he did. Died for my sin, buried for my sin, raised again for me. Say, preacher, I've known that all my life. These people knew that too. But they didn't receive it. And they're going to go to hell. And you can know everything I've said and never go to heaven. You must receive it by faith, and you can tonight. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them believe in his name. Do you know what the book of life is? Centuries ago, it was called the book of the living. And when a Jewish mom and dad had a child, the name was inscribed in the city's book of the living. Verifying that they were citizens of the city. There were foreigners and strangers in that city that were not citizens. Your name had to be in the book of the living. Get this. It doesn't make any difference whether you go to church. You have to have your name in the book of life. It doesn't make any difference how many times you've been baptized, how much money you've given. Your name has to be in the book of life. It doesn't make any difference who your dad and mom is. Your name has to be in the book of life. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, Revelation 20:15, you are cast into the lake of fire. And with everything inside of me, I'm pleading with you, the front row to the back, get your name in the book of life tonight. Preacher, how can I do that? In a moment, sitting in your seat, you can open your heart like the front door in your house, and you can ask God to come live inside of you. He'll take away your sin, put your name in His book. He'll make you a brand new person. And when you walk out of here without joining one thing, for the first time in your life, you'll know to go, you're going to heaven. Are you certain your name's in the book of life? I'm done with this. I was preaching at a meeting, and a grandmother came to see me. She said, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. She's an honest lady. You can help honest people. And I said, let me get a lady to pray with you. And so they went and sat down. And I happened to be coming by after the service. And the grandmother said, son, come over here. I want to, ask, I want to tell you something. She said, would you mind telling this lady, uh, God's always been with me. See, she was having a hard time just admitting she was a sinner. That's going to be the hardest thing for you tonight. If you can get over that hurdle, you can receive Jesus. But if you don't get over that hurdle, you'll go to hell. And so I said to the little lady who was counseling, I said, I kind of winked at her, and that means let me take over. I said, uh, uh, yes, ma'am, I'm sure that God is with you. See, the truth of the matter is God's omnipresent. So he's with us right now. And then I turned and looked at the lady, and I said, but that's not how you get to heaven. She said, no. I said, no. I said, the Bible says it's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. So it's not just God around you. Christ must be in you. And she looked at me and she said, oh, my. She said, all these years he's been around me, yeah. But if he's not in me, I can't know. Well, I want him in me. And she didn't wait on me. She bowed her head and heard her pray, dear God, all these years you've been around me. I don't want you around me anymore. I want you to come live in my life and save me. And she looked up with tears coursing down her cheeks, and she said, guess what? I said, what? She said, it works. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you tonight, Jesus still works. And he'll save you. But you'll have to ask him. 
I'm going to ask you this and pray. If Jesus walked up to you tonight and put the book of life in your lap and said, find your name. Is it there? Can you prove from this book without any doubt that your name is in the book of life? Your answer is, no, I don't know. This is your time and place to be born again. Now let's bow our heads to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the Bible. Thank you for the truth of it. Speak to our hearts. Only the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. I preach the Word.